was pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. That was pretty good. Wow. How many of you are, uh, there's, I'm going to do a little informal survey. How many of you are uh, putting up a Christmas tree this year? Christmas tree. A lot of people. If you're not, don't pretend you How many of you already got it up? Got it up? All right. There's a lot of, I mean, that's a big deal, right? There's probably, I don't think there is any other symbol that we identify with anywhere you go, almost any country, any place, any, you know, neighborhood or area you go, they're like a Christmas tree, Christmas tree. How many of you doing a, uh, a real tree? You know, I'll show you a real tree. Um, we did that for a long time, thought about it this year. How many of you do a real tree, put up a real tree? Okay, one person in the balcony, okay. I'm not going to mess with it. Do you do trees? Do you do, you just watch other people's? <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm, okay, Scott. I'm, all right, how many of you do um, fake tree? I mean, artificial, it makes it sound a little nicer. That's what we do. We've got a nice, nice tree. All right? And you, they look pretty good. And now you can get them with the built-in lights where you, you don't even string lights on them. You got that? You don't have that? We don't have that. We have, like, the Econo fake tree, but that's pretty cool. You just put the tree up. I think it puts itself up. You just hit your app on your phone, and the tree comes out of the basement. When I was a kid, I'll show you the worst fake tree ever or different. Do you remember these? Anybody from my generation? Yeah. My Aunt Marie, who will forever be Aunt Riri to me, had one of these kind of trees, and we would go over there. I was fascinated. I would just sit like, that is so cool, you know. I just I always wanted one of those when we were little, but my family was kind of traditionalist. But everybody's got a tree. You can get, uh, you know, if you even have a little small apartment, you can get like a little tree, right? You can just do a little baby Christmas tree. Uh, people at work. Uh, I saw one guy, one, you one cubicle of the Christmas or whatever that is, you know, and people somewhere where you work, you decorate, you can get a little, even a tinier one uh, to put up. There are Christmas trees everywhere. New York Plaza probably had, Rockefeller Plaza has probably the most famous, one of the famous Christmas trees, you know, that big one they always put up there, and you've seen that in movies, maybe you've been there. Uh, my daughter-in-law is there right now as we speak. Um, the, even the White House has a Christmas tree. Um, that's all I'll say about that. And they have a Christmas tree. I mean, it's just, everybody puts up, you know, I mean, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a thing to put up trees. So I just got to thinking about that and about thinking about trees because I read this, that there are, are you ready for this? 24.5 million real trees will be sold during the Christmas season and about 10 million artificial trees. That's a lot of Christmas trees. That's a lot of Christmas trees. Christmas trees are big business. Check this out. 36 million Christmas trees are produced in this country every year, and more than 1 million acres of land have been planted in Christmas trees. Over 100,000 people will work full-time in the Christmas tree industry. I don't know. Okay, maybe some of you do that. Uh, More than 1 million uh, acres. I said that... um, 
Roughly 21% of United States households will have a real tree in their home this year versus 48% that'll have a, a fake or artificial faux tree. Um, so that's, I just can't even imagine you know, that many trees. That's a lot of Christmas trees. Or how do you celebrate? I mean, I grew up in kind of a lower middle class income home. We always had a tree. We always had a tree. Um, when I started dating Kathy, her dad always picked out the trees, and they were always like, bless, the, there's the saddest trees. I think he felt sorry for the trees that had, you know, going through rejection syndrome, and so he would pick those trees and bring them in, and he'd always sit and look at it and think it's the most beautiful, that's the most beautiful tree we've ever had, and it would just be the most pitiful thing. One year we went to get trees. Did I tell you this? And we, and he drove out into the country, and, um, Pulled up beside this, you know, this field, and there's a tree over on the other side of the fence. He throws, like, the saw and the axe and everything over the tree and says, you climb over. And, you know, and, and so I climb over, and I get down, and I'm down working on the tree, and I look, and he's not over the fence. He didn't come over the fence. He's still by the car. So I went over, and I said, Mr. Earl, I said, you know, the tree, you're going to help me get it over? He goes, no, no. He goes, <laughs> he goes the guy that owns this land's the meanest guy in the county. <laughs> and he said, if he knows we're stealing his tree, I, said, I thought, thank you very much. So he was ready to make a getaway and leave me there uh, getting the tree. But it's an important thing. It's a big deal. Uh, we can't imagine it. And all the lights and the decoration, we had such a time yesterday getting ours up. The lights are in such a mess on the, old, the tree. We pulled it up out of the basement. There's some mess and my son-in-law, Stephen, just helping with that. And he finally got so frustrated, he got a pair of scissors. And he said, I will pay for the new lights. I'll go down to Walgreens, I'll get new lights. And he cut all the old lights. It just, just and it felt good. He said, this feels good. This feels so good because there's such a mess. And you know, you've probably done that. Um, but have you ever thought about why we do that and where, we, where, we, where that got started? Now, there's, there were trees even before Christmas, before Christ, there was different kind of ideas about that, what that uh, meant and how it got started. But there, um, there's an idea about this Christmas tree and the whole thing and how it originated and how it became one of the symbols that we go to as followers of Jesus um, and where, how there's meaning attached to that. So that's what I want to talk about because I don't know if you knew that the origin of the Christmas tree in Germany about 1,300 years ago, and it was originally called the Christbaum, the Christ tree. The first known decorated tree was in the city of uh, Riga and the country of Lativa uh, in the year 1510. How about that? And it was because of a pretty famous Christian, a guy named Martin Luther, the reformer, maybe you've heard of him, um, who did something for the very first time. Uh, it was in 1535. He was, uh, I think, if my math is right, he's about 52 years old. And he was traveling home, and it was at night. It had just gotten dark, and he, and he looked up at some, what we would think of as Christmas trees, with the lights behind, the stars behind them twinkling through the branches. And he just stopped and looked at that and thought, that is just so beautiful. So when he got home, he wanted to replicate that. He was trying to tell his family, his wife and his children, about this. So he had the idea. He went outside, cut down a tree, and brought it inside for the very first time. We'd always had just left the tree outside. Who would bring a tree into the house? You know, that, think about that. So he brought the tree in the house. He put candles on the tree, and then he lit it for his children to look. And it was just such a beautiful thing. 
And uh, Kathy said her parents can remember doing that back in the day, and you only got to see the tree lit like at one time. You didn't just keep it lit, but there's actually caught on fire. <laughs> and you know, you're like, ah, oh, that tree was so, yeah, burned the house down, but wasn't it beautiful? That was just, it was just amazing. Um, but that's what he did. He decorated that little tree and did that. And as far as we know in history, that's the first time anybody had that idea or did that kind of thing. And I think it's kind of cool that it was connected to this guy who absolutely changed the course of church history and, and it kind of redeemed what we think of as, as, you know, the genuine gospel. So how does all that, you think, Dan, that's so great. That's good. We, we like the song a lot better. That was really good, but we don't get where you're going. Well, I think the first real Christmas tree was in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And I don't think it was shaped like this. I think it was shaped like that. It was a cross. In fact, it's surprising when you think about this, how much all during his lifetime that Jesus related to wood. All of his life, he was born and laid in a, what we think was a wooden manger. He grew up as a carpenter for three decades. You know, he was around the carpenter shop. That was the business that his family was in. And, and then he grew up and he worked with wood every day of his life. And then when he died, he died on a wooden cross. It's amazingly that the Bible actually refers to as a tree. And this is incredible. When you go back and you study God's Word uh, about how the Bible actually refers to both Jesus and his death on the cross with the word tree. And I'm going to show you that. Because there are actually a couple of Greek words, two Greek words that are used in the New Testament for the word cross. Check this out. One is the word staros, and I know that's probably not interesting, but it simply means it can refer to just a, an upright stake and that maybe they would put a, one of those big rings in it, or it, it'll look a lot like this. Uh, but it took different forms, but the Romans kind of perfected this uh, art of death by crucifixion, and their cross looked uh, it, it, roughly a lot like the one we use as a symbol today of Christ and of, of, you know, of the cross is what we think of. It's an instrument of crucifixion. And there's another word that is translated the same way, cross. It's zulon, and it was used often both of a tree and of a cross. It was translated both ways. The word in the New Testament can mean tree, it can mean wood, things made out of wood or like a piece of wood. It's a word that also refers to the cross. Listen to this. For example, in Luke chapter 23, verse 31, it says, For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? So listen to a couple of verses. The exact same word for tree and see how the word is used, and it can be translated cross. Acts 5.30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging 
on a tree, on a cross. Acts 10.39, and we are all witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Acts 13.29, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the wood, from the tree, from the cross, and they laid him in a tomb. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, a cross, a wood. The cross of Jesus is referred to over and over again. I could tell you more. I mean, that's, you got the idea. Um, as a tree. And the greatest description of that tree and what happened on that tree, which I think is like God's, it's his first Christmas tree, was found in one of the, the I think, you know, and I've loved these verses. And this year the Lord's just kind of, I look back over 2014 and uh, I, I've, I've just become really interested in verses that say a lot in a short amount of words. You know, one verse that sort of says it all. Like last week we talked about John 3.16. That's a whole gospel in a verse. Uh, earlier in the year, we looked at verses in Romans that just put it out there. And one, this is a verse that's kind of like that. It's in First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four. And I'm going to read it out of New King James. I just like that language. It says this: "Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." Now remember. The original term for the Christmas tree was the German word Christbaum. It literally means Christ's tree, the Jesus tree. We're told in the Bible that the cross was also Christ's tree. Uh, for all intents and purposes, the Christ was God's Christmas tree. I think it's the, here's, here's my Christmas tree uh, to the world. It was planned, it was planted, it was bought and placed on this planet for the glory of God and for the salvation of the human race. For us, for you and for me. I want us to read this verse again, just in a little different version. And remember that the word cross in English is the Greek word used for tree. Okay? Um, and let's see, just like every Christmas tree should take us back to this. Every time we see a Christmas tree, uh, to take us back to this. It says, this is a... a fresher, more like a real literal version. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. When we see the cross as God's Christmas tree, and every time you see a Christmas tree, there's some things we'll remember. One, we're going to remember that Jesus gave his life for us. And back in 1 Peter, he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. I'm going to tell you why I think that's such a powerful statement. Um, because in that one statement, uh, we find it, it really the whole theme of the Bible is wrapped up in that. I mean, if you want to know what the Bible's all about, and for a long time I did, and I, I began to hang out with some Christians, and they would talk about Bible verses or themes or, you know, theological things, and I think, well, how, where did you get that? Why do you think that? You know, and they go, well, from the Bible. 
and I'm listening to them, and I'm thinking of thoughts that I just grew up thinking, you know, how you just kind of get stuff in your head, and you think, I don't know why I think that, and you find out later, oh, that's really not in the Bible, or it's really not a Bible, it's just like a southern thing, or it's just something we all, you know, you know, it's kind of see a certain way. So I got a Bible, and I just began to read it, and this is the best way. If you're here today, and you're, you know, not attached to Christ, or, you know, and you think, well, how do I know about that guy standing up there talking, or what my mama believes, get a Bible. I mean, they're pretty inexpensive. Get a good version um, that you can understand and you can read. I like the ESV. It's pretty good. And just start reading it. That's how you understand what the Bible's about. So um, when I begin to read that, uh, I, I see that his death on the cross was anticipated all throughout the entire Bible in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had all these prophecies and you had these ideas and these thoughts and, these, and even these pictures. And when you go back, you know, once you've read through and you, see the, you know, read the Gospels and the New Testament letters and you go back and go, oh my goodness, now I get what this was about in the Old Testament. That was like a, this metaphor. It was like this word picture, this illustration of what was going to happen with Jesus on the cross. I don't think we ever understand, you know, the the birth of Jesus until you understand the significance of the death of Jesus. The clearest statement concerning the purpose of the death of Christ in the New Testament might be in this little sentence we just read a moment ago. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. Whatever else you think might have happened on the cross and the theological and doctrinal issues that people debate, you know, about that event, uh, this part of the cross is indisputable. Jesus died for our sins and he died in our place when he hung on that tree. The cross was made of wood. It's like a tree is wood. That's where it came from. And the cross ultimately became this source of joy for us. Uh, something so awful and so gruesome and horrendous. I mean, I, you think about it in modern terms. It's, it's like, a hang, you know, what if we put a hangman's noose up there? What would guests think when they walk in and go, what a creepy church. What if we put an electric chair up there? Or, you know, or a firing squad, and we said, you know, this is, uh, this is. But you see, we have found beauty, and we have found substance and something different about the cross because it's become a place of joy because that's where we were redeemed. That's where our sins were taken away. And it's become something in total, totally different for us because Jesus died on the cross, and he died in our place when he hung there. His tree was the cross. So when I see a Christmas tree, I'm reminded of the cross of Jesus. And then that leads me to this next thought, is that we realize that then I am to live, you know, he died for me, I am to live for him and in him, in Christ. And this is where so many people, I think, misunderstand Christianity. Why did Jesus give his life for us? So that we might live in him, that we might know him. We go on to read this in that same verse. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's why. 
There's this little bit of paradox, and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus died for our sins so that we might die to sin. Paul uses a word in his writings, and he, he's just really about this idea and this theme. It's all throughout every one of his letters. But this word that he uses is only one time in all the New Testament, and it never occurs again. Uh, when he tells us we're to die to our sins, that word die in that specific instance literally means to be removed from. We are to be removed from. And it's used in reference of when someone dies and it says the soul is removed from the body. Because that's what death is. That's what death is. It's when you take the soul out of the body and then you think, well, the body's dead. That, that's dead. But the soul continues. That's the word that he used. That we removed from the body, now we're present with the Lord. And he said in the same way, you're to be dead to, you're to be removed from your sin, the state of sin that, that we've lived in. And I think that's the big, the big idea here. And let me go a little further with that. Uh, Jesus died so that we can live again, and he lives in us so that we can die to our sin, so that we might live in him and for him. That's the gospel. It's not just agreeing intellectually with the premise, I believe there was a guy named Jesus, I believe he was executed, and I believe, you know, it's not, it's not that. It's, it's, a, it's a little deeper than that. I don't know if you ever thought about the fact that Jesus never asked us to remember his birth. You know, none of his teachings, not at the ascension, go, now remember, the, remember the day I was born. Don't forget about that. When I go, keep talking about that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, we make such a big deal out of Christmas, right? I mean, it is, I mean, is there any dispute? It's the biggest holiday that we have or any other country. And it's one of the few holidays that everybody has in common, even in countries, even in places where they don't believe in Jesus and they don't celebrate Christianity and nobody's Christians. It's like, well, we're still going to, we're going to call it something else and we're going to do it, but it's, it's about that. It's, 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 we make a big deal out of that and we all enjoy it. I even enjoy it. I enjoy Christmas. But Jesus never asks us to set aside a time where you remember my birth. He only asks us to remember his death. He does do that. Because it's not his birth that saves us. It was his death that saved us. If I were going to redesign the way we celebrate, Christmas would be a big deal and it'd be a lot of fun. But you know what? Easter would be the day that we would make a that would be huge because that's the holiday that speaks of our salvation more than any others. Now, I want you to remember, this is known as the Christ tree. That was the original word. It's a tree that represents life. Uh, and I know this is, sometimes I have an idea and I just kind of chase it, and later I think, yeah, that's not such a great idea. Or, but and you think, oh, then that's a little cheesy or corny. But, uh, but I think, you know, how a tree... And, you know, we, we live in East Tennessee, and if you've ever flown over our city, you look down and you realize just how green this place really is. Not right now. And if you're not from Tennessee, this is kind of what we look like until March. It's just gray and brown. But then this explodes in color. It's just a beautiful place, and we kind of forget that. But these trees, put, they take in carbon dioxide and give off oxygen. Is that photosynthesis? Is that what that's called? And, and, it, and they give life. You get that? It's a life-giving 
thing. Isn't it kind of cool? Because it's at the cross of Jesus that he takes in our sin. He absorbed our sins on the tree. And then he gives life. I didn't think you'd get that. That was pretty good to me. But okay. Um, But I believe, I think that's what he does. He gives life out of death comes life. Life comes out of out of that death. So let me say again, when you look at the life of Jesus, it's all about the tree. It's all about the cross. He was born in a manger made from a tree. He was a carpenter his whole life. He worked with trees. He worked with wood. And he died literally on a tree, on a cross, on wood for our sins. So every time you look at a Christmas tree, you're confronted by the cross of Jesus. You have to ask yourself this question. What am I going to do with God's tree? Am I going to accept what Jesus did on that tree or not? It's interesting to me how uh, one time a year in the Christmas holidays, we take a tree from the outside, we cut this outside thing down, and we bring it inside. We bring it into our house, into our home, and we put it there. And that's exactly what God does in, his, in, in our response to him. We take this that was on the outside as we respond to the cross. He comes to us from outside our hearts to live on the inside of our hearts. I mean, didn't somebody say that to you? Maybe when you were a child at vacation Bible school. Or maybe even as an adult, a co-worker said at one point, are you ready to accept Jesus? Are you ready to ask Jesus to come into your heart? I don't know. I know you're thinking, Dan, this is some thin thin connections here but i see it i mean i see it there i want to apologize because i think the same way we bring a tree on the outside to the inside we ask jesus to come from the outside to the inside of our life and our heart and who we are so i see a redeemer i see god's love in just these real blatant ways every time i see a christmas tree it's one other idea that i connected to that is this that we can rejoice that there's now nothing between his life in our life. There's no more barriers. It's all broken down. It's all crucified. It's all, it's all done. Listen to this statement. Maybe you read over this. Maybe you've read it in uh, Isaiah's prophecy because he said something like this in 1 Peter 2.24. says, For by his wounds you were healed. By him receiving that crucifixion, that death, by his stripes, you are being healed because of that. That's a quotation, as I said, from the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesied that Christ would be crucified on a tree. And how do you predict that? I mean, how do you, you know, anytime you think, you know, what... What, is, what do we think about this? What do we think about that? Look and see what Jesus thought about it. Because anybody that can predict the way that he's going to die in his own resurrection, I'm going to go with that guy. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to him because that's incredible. That's incredible, all the prophecies about him and then the prophecies that he made about himself, and they all come true one after the other. That was a huge part of how and why I came to Christ. I would read those and think, how did he know that? How did he get that right? That's impossible. But he did it. And it's documented again and again and again. 
So that's a big part of that. And I rejoice in that. And this just really, uh, even just a, a few years ago, just kind of reawakened to this idea that there's no barriers now between his life and my life. Good things happen, and we've seen tragedies, and we saw events like, uh, like the Ebola outbreak uh, in Africa, and we're so, so concerned that it could spread to other places. And so the idea, and maybe you've done this, we've had to do this in our house with diseases not quite as serious, but uh, the idea of quarantine. Oh, nobody can come over, or, you know, the city I'm from was almost wiped out by yellow fever back in the 1800s until they began to quarantine people. Nobody could travel into the city, and nobody could leave. They just shut it down to try to contain that. There are certain diseases that do that because they're just so contagious and so dangerous. The idea is this, that God, being such a holy and righteous God, he had to quarantine sinners. He had to separate himself from sin because he would just have nothing to do with it. So there was this separation, this removing from, like the idea that we talked about earlier. And anyone now who is willing to come to Jesus and receive total and complete forgiveness from their sin can have that sin sickness healed and can live the rest of their life knowing that there's nothing between God's life and their life. And you have this immunity, this immunity now in your, in your spiritual system because of that. You ever seen all those movies where somebody gets a disease or they've been injected with something and here's the antidote and, and the whole plot begins to revolve around they've got to get to that in time and their time keeps... You don't watch those movies, okay. Um, you know, usually action adventure things, and, and usually they're fading, and they're just about to go, and, and then they get the injection, and they, oh, wow, I feel, I, think, I feel so much better now. I was about to die, and you gave me that magic thing. This is the cross. This, this is spiritually for us. You can try all these other things, and you can drink your mama's chicken soup, and you can, you know, um, you know take aspirin and all that, but you've got this serious, deadly, contagious disease. It's not going to do anything. It may treat the symptoms. And this is what I see people do all the time. And they've got these places in their lives of, of pain or of guilt or of shame or just this sickness. And so we just treat the symptoms. Well, maybe if I just go out and I just party hard enough or I buy this or I do that or, you know, if I laugh loud enough and long enough, if I can try to get people to pay attention or to love me, then maybe that's going to cure this. And it never does. It never does. It doesn't work. It's the cross that brings healing. He says, this, by his woundedness, you can be healed. Jesus said in John 9, 5, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And when you look at the cross you really understand what happened, that on that tree 2,000 years ago, and when you see Jesus, you see the light of God's love for us, and you see the light of God's grace, and the light of God's mercy, and the light of His righteousness, and the light of His forgiveness. And it's imputed, it's transferred into us from the outside in. So, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about even the... 
And like I said, I know I'm making some loose connections, but stay with me here. Even the shape of the tree. You know, we, we chose this shape. It's kind of like a triangle. And at the base, there's the human race. There's all of us. And it's just wide. And it all leads to the cross. It all leads to God, to this one place. This, even the shape of it, I think, is symbolic of what God's done. And at the base of the cross, there stood this crowd of sinful people. And on the cross, there's just this one person, this one light of the world, God's Son. And the cross pointed to God because he loved the world. He loved you. He loved me so much that he allowed his son to be put on that tree. He allowed us to put his son to murder him on the tree so that we could be saved. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I hope happens. The point of this is that every time you see a Christmas tree, because I know you're going to see them every year, you're going to see them for the rest of your life, every Christmas, you're going to see a Christmas tree. And even other times during the year, you're going to see evergreen trees. Every time you see a Christmas tree for the rest of your life, we let that tree remind you Let it be a way that you can remember how Jesus gave his life for you. Let that Christmas tree help you realize that you're to live your life for him, in him. And that Christmas tree bring you to a place where you re-rejoice. You find joy again and again. In just that small way, just a little reminder, when you give your life to him, there's nothing again that will ever ever separate your life from his life so this week when you're out shopping or maybe you're putting up your tree or maybe you know you're getting ready for bed and you know one of our last questions is always um do you turn the lights off on the tree uh let's leave them on tonight so the neighbor maybe somebody will look in our window and see those lights and they'll get saved and you know, <laughs> Okay, I'll go down and turn them off, you know, I'll unplug the, the lights. But every time you look at the tree, remember this. If you're in Christ, there are no more barriers. And your life will never be separated from his life ever again. Because of the cross. Because of God's Christmas tree for you. I hope you remember that for a long time. And I hope every Christmas, whether you're walking through the mall or you're at Turkey Creek or you're in your own home or at a party at a friend's house or there's a little tree on your cubicle or maybe on a Christmas card, something in your heart, the Holy Spirit would just bring back to your mind. You think, Jesus, thank you for the cross. God, thank you for your Christmas tree. Would you stand? Let's just pray and ask God to help us to remember that. Father, I love seeing you around me in practical, little quiet ways. Sometimes I feel like we've just got all these little secrets and that throughout the day you remind me so many different um, ways that you're there, you're here with us, you see us, you haven't forgotten us. 
I want to remember that all throughout my day. And Father, during this season, this is my prayer for all of us. That every time we see a Christmas tree for the rest of our life, that that tree would cause us to remember how you loved us so much that you gave Jesus and you put him on the wood on the cross and through him there's nothing ever again between us and you Thank you. We love you. We praise you. For the tree.